Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. We have a very fun show with a very cool guest. I'm just going to get right into it. Um, today, we have Bob Gardner. I'm going to um, tell you a little bit about him and then welcome him to the show. Bob Gardner is the founder of The Freedom Specialist, a body-based approach to happiness, health, and well-being. Bob is also the author of the book, Built for Freedom, and host of the podcast, Alive and Free. As a transformational specialist, Bob's aim is to share his unique tools with the world to help them find happiness, health, and well-being on autopilot. After 18 years of being trapped in addictive patterns and on the brink of both divorce and suicide, something inside Bob told him it was not time to quit just yet. So against the prevailing wisdom that said these problems are permanent, which I'm really excited to talk to him about, Bob chose to create a way to permanently eliminate them from his life. His body-based, no-nonsense approach to freedom has since helped thousands of people leave their struggles behind and find real freedom and happiness. In addition, Bob's intensive power-packed in-person retreats, transformational coaching, and online resources have supported people struggling with everything from chronic pain, anxiety, depression, PTSD, childhood wounds, addictions, and OCD, so they can finally take their life back and begin to thrive again. And you can learn more about Bob and all of those things at thefreedomspecialist.com. Bob, welcome to Freedom for Humans. Hi, thank you for welcoming me. It's exciting to be here. I'm so happy to have you, and I am really excited to talk to you because, as I was mentioning, the Freedom Specialist is on Freedom for Humans. <laughs> We're going to talk about freedom. That's right. <laughs> yes. And so I think one thing that I'm guessing we agree on, because uh, I believe I saw this when I was reading about you, is that freedom is the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was how I... I could have called myself an addiction specialist or like a depression specialist, but I figured every, every person who struggles with those things specializes in them. And I wanted to like the focus of my entire being to be focused on something that I really cared about and cherished. So it ended up being the name of the company. So that way, every time I think about it, I'm thinking about freedom instead of addiction or trauma or anything else. Yes, I am with you on that. So I'm curious what, um, cause you know, I talk about freedom all the time and that is for me, probably the most important thing, um, in my life and kind of how I, this kind of my frame of reference for whether things are for me or not for me or how things are going, how, how free do I feel? What is freedom for you? What does that look like for you? It's funny. It's, it's kind of been an evolution in the beginning. Freedom was, have my life, all the good stuff, just not the problems. Right. That was the definition <laughs> of freedom. <laughs> it was like, how do I somehow manage to keep all the good stuff, but but the bad go away when I didn't realize that how I was living had created both sides. So as I was developing sort of and trying to figure out my own story, my own struggles, my own inner demons and whatnot, I started to realize that that whenever I felt free, it was actually a state in my body. It was like a feeling that I could measure. And that was independent of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so 
it became a, I was like, well, free. I can check at any point in time during the day. Am I free or am I not free? Instead of it being like, well, you've been X number of days since your last relapse, or you've, you've, you know, you haven't yelled at your wife for however long or whatnot, that the metrics became, do I, or do I not feel free? It was something that my little skeptic mind could, could latch hold on. But then I was like, yeah, but how do I create that? And can I create that in some sort of autopilot way, like as an instinct? And that's where I commonly tell people freedom is a skill, not a pill. It's a, uh, you, you could train it like a muscle memory and then it takes over and then it becomes your automatic reaction to things. Yes. So we talk a lot on the show about practices. Um, and so when you talk about autopilot and we, we can get into, we're kind of, I'm kind of jumping right into it, but when you talk about autopilot, do you still find that you're practicing the things that brought the autopilot into existence or is it really just, you don't really even have to think about it anymore? Uh, I don't, I am because the focus of what I did for myself first before helping all these other hundreds and thousands of people was, was focusing not on maintaining freedom, but on living the life that I felt like I wanted to live that all of the practices I do. And I do practices. They're all aimed at this like childhood dream of mine to that this curiosity and wonder about a particular area of life. Um, and by, as a result, there's an autopilot that happens. So the urges, the temptations, all that stuff, all the negative stories in my head, they literally have gone away. Um, I don't have a reaction to them where they come up and then I'm doing stuff, but I do have practices. They're just, like I say in the book, I say, what entertains you trains you. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I would rather train my mind to do the and body to do the things that I really love anyway. So what can I entertain myself that does those? And as a byproduct, I don't ever have to worry about the other thing. I see. So the voices that were going at you, I would assume I want to ask you about your story, but those voices that were going at you before, they just, they've gone away because yeah. your focus is on, you're engaged mm -hmm. in something that is interesting, that, that keeps your attention and that is attached to something that is meaningful and important to you. And also it sounds like attached to that deep inner self that's with us from the beginning. Yeah, sure. Whatever you want to call that. You're, but it seems like my inner drive is there. I will say that it wasn't just aiming at that that did it. There are some things that I do with my clientele and the things that I did with myself that dismantled those inner voices. It's very, very specific things to dismantle them so that they don't come back. But it was like, a, once it was done, it was done and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Ooh, okay. That sounds very interesting. So can you talk a bit more about your story? Because, you know, there's a, just a, a mention of it in your bio, but it sounds like you went to a pretty dark, um, difficult place um, before you struck out on this particular part of your journey. Yeah. I. What's funny is, you know, a lot of talk around addiction, a lot of talk around some or, or depression or a lot of these other things kind of focuses on childhood trauma or some sort of wound that happens. But if I look back at my, I'd have to make a really, really difficult case to make my childhood traumatic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> were great. They did the best they knew how they handed me their beliefs and their, and they did, they did everything they knew how, and they're still doing the best that they know how. And they're wonderful people. And we moved around a lot. And so as a military kid there, I was commonly feeling like I didn't belong or mm -hmm. like there was 
about me that was the odd man out. And that there were, so I, I sort of internalized this notion from the time I can remember back to when I was like four, five, I mean, five or six, already starting to feel somewhat isolated. We had moved again, yet again. And I, I have some like constructed memories that never happened. You know, my brain was like, oh yeah, I was alone in the desert at night. Never happened. But <laughs> my brain. <sort laughs> but you felt, that. you felt it. Yeah. Uh-huh. As, as being like depressed and isolated and like I wasn't measuring up and I never had the chance to, and there was something defective about me. And then the constant moving kind of exacerbated that because every move and every new group of friends was like this worry again. Yeah. So we had moved again to Utah, actually, when I was a teenager, <clears throat> I was 14 years old and in the middle of finding friends and whatnot, I was also going through puberty. <laughs> yes. Middle yeah, school. Yeah. <laughs> and I had questions about sexuality, you know, how the plumbing works and all the stuff. And I, I asked my dad when I was in fifth grade about some of it, and he had given me a kind of a blow off answer, told me a condom was a, an emergency water bag. And I found out <laughs> later from a TV show what it really was. And also then in that moment was like, okay, cool. I can't ask my parents. So as an enterprising young man, I went to find out on my own. The internet had just arrived. And pretty soon I was like neck deep in pornographic material. And that went for a long time because it was pretty quick that I discovered how everything worked and that that felt way better than trying to figure out if the girls around me liked me. Right. So that was the escape for the longest time. And um, eventually I got into some drugs and substance use a little bit, um, but not too much. Uh, Mostly it centered around sexuality and pornography and food binging and all the other kind of compulsive behaviors that went right along with it. Yep. And in the middle of that, as I, you know, growing up deeply religious, pornography was like a huge deal. And so I felt horrible all the time. I just felt like I was worthless and there was something wrong with me and I'd never measure up that my family would go to heaven, but I was going to go to the other place. And so in that, I started to develop these anxious tics, these bipolar mood swings, this sort of depressive funks that would last for months on end. And there were there was a long period of time where I just cried myself to sleep at night. I wanted to die, but I didn't want to cause my family pain. So I stayed mm-hmm. around just so that I didn't cause them pain. But in the middle of it, I would cry myself to sleep at night or I'd wander the streets at 3 a.m. hoping a bus would accidentally hit me. And, mm-hmm. and things. So it was a pretty dark place. Um, I had tried 12-step programs. I had been through a number of online programs and books and willpower and accountability buddies and talk to counselors and all the stuff. And the prevailing wisdom, like all the story, even now, the, the story is, um, as I look at some of the rehab centers around here, the story is still like, you are not going to make it unless you're constantly at meetings, unless you are constantly like on top of things. And even though there are some people here and there saying something different, the general story is that. So here I am, 32 years old. And the story that's being given to me is, sorry, buddy, however your life worked out, the rest of your life, you're going to have to deal with that. So I have this vision of myself. I'm My wife leaves to go pick up the kids from school. I got a few minutes, the computer's in the corner, and I feel this tremendous tug of war inside Yes, me. yep hands are shaking. I feel this cold rush in my limbs and my feet are rooted to the floor. And my mind goes to me at 90 years old and a vision of me in the exact same spot, still having the same struggle. And I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. 
So I started like really trying to control everything. Um, And that was the day that I just sort of like tossed everything out. Um, You know, it had been some months before where my wife was like, I can't handle this anymore. I think I'm going to leave. We had four kids at the time and I was just, not only am I miserable, but now I'm going to live the rest of my life alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go home and see the kids run up and go, daddy. And I'm not going to be able to have these like inside jokes with the family. So I had been controlling myself as much as possible. And in that one moment with that vision, I was like, I, I got to find another way. So I went back to my roots. I went back to the things that I knew I felt good with, the things that I knew helped. And I started with some of the breathing stuff and all of the martial arts that I had been training. And then I started just up testing a few things. And within a very short time, we're talking weeks, all of this, I had like managed to cut through a lot of this mental bull crud and found myself on the other side of it without any urges, without any struggles. And I hadn't really sorted everything out yet, but it had been such rapid progress that I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. And so then I just doubled down on that. And within a very short amount of time, I felt myself like super free. I was like, sweet, I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to learn how to shoot lightning bolts from my fingertips, like all the Jedi. Uh I guess maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then I, it was years later that some business coach was like, you're running a Kung Fu school and you're doing all of these therapies and you're teaching at a university, this stuff, but there's like millions of people that are struggling with the very thing you were struggling with and nobody knows how to handle it. And if you're legit free, like it's your duty. And he intimidated me a lot. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I put my story online. I probably should have told my family about it first, <laughs> a little bit of a shock to them. And um, then I started helping people and it took a bit for me to parse. What are all the things that just worked for me? Uh-huh. I, thought, I thought still that I was like the weirdo, you know, I just, this worked for me. It's not going to work for anybody else. And what's the stuff that is universally applicable. And, and after a number of people, I it developed this system of working with people's bodies and their perceptions in such a way that, they could actually eradicate the thing and walk free of it and not come back. Interesting. So um, I want to ask you before our first break, I want to kind of ask you a little bit more about being able to walk free from something like addiction when the prevailing, you know, not, not for everybody, but, but certainly the notion that we're taught in like a 12 step setting is once an addict, always an addict, and that you must work a program in order to keep the addiction at bay. And it keeps you really involved. It yes. keeps you involved with the, just as somebody with a long history of a variety of addictions um, and lots of different recoveries, it keeps you involved with that addiction. So when you say that you were able to walk away free and that you see people walk away free, does it mean that they no longer are compelled to do that behavior and are able to abstain from it or they're they're no longer compelled to, to do the behavior and they're able to keep it in their lives in some kind of moderate way or is it both? Uh, a little of both. Most of the people that come to me want to abstain from it. So I don't have a lot of metrics on the people that are like, no, I just want a healthier relationship. There are a number of them that are like, no, I'm not bothered by it anymore. I can, I can use it when I want to. And I don't, don't use when I don't want to, but most of the people that come are interested in cutting it out of their life because they, they want to do more with their life anyway. And they realize they've just been using this behavior as 
a makeshift solution to the pain inside. So right. As anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah. So when you solve that pain, you no longer need the solution. So they just end up walking. Exactly. Okay. And I'm suspecting you see, you see a number of people who have tried, like you did, who have tried the, some of the more traditional, um, approaches. Yeah. Most of the people, almost everybody that comes to me, I'm like their last ditch effort. Okay. Yeah. In the, in the rooms, we call that the last house on the block. I know you're probably familiar with that term. (laughs) I was telling Bob before we started that I went to treatment when I was 16 years old. Uh, in 1987. So um, I have a lot of this just, it's almost baked into my cells in a way. And when I began to free myself, really, from what you've talked about, the thing that's underneath, the thing that's causing you pain, the thing that is causing you to reach for anesthesia, um, I was I was shocked and delighted um, that I no longer felt sort of tied to it. Like it was always going to be in my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I had to challenge a lot around what addiction was, and we can talk about that obviously after we come back from the break. But I think in the end, one of the things to recognize was that I, it wasn't, I was trying, I wasn't trying to anesthetize myself because anesthesia is a deadening of the senses. Mm-hmm. What I was trying to do was wake myself up to the world around me and get out oh. of my head. And so everybody talks about numbing out, but it's actually the reverse from what I've witnessed so often. That's fascinating. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're, we're right up on a break. So I think it's a great time for us to um, go to break and come back and continue this. You're listening to freedom for humans and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're here with Bob Gardner, the Freedom Specialist. And before the break, um, you said um, something that I want to follow up with you on. So you talked about the fact that you are not necessarily the behaviors that you are engaged in. Um, they were not necessarily for anesthesia and that you have observed this to be true for other people as well, um, that you were not necessarily trained to numb yourself out of life. You were trained to wake yourself up to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you, absolutely. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, so if you, if, as I've observed, I mean, I've had to do a lot of observation with all first with myself and then with all these other people, the common thread between all the times when I was struggling was that I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, Bob. <laughs> thinking is bad, but that I hadn't trained myself to use thoughts in a way that produced positivity, that produced creativity, or that produced silence. You know, I hadn't used to use learn to use thoughts as a tool instead of a constant background chatter. And all of the clientele that I've worked with across the board, whether they were dealing with rape and childhood sexual abuse, or whether they were dealing with addiction or depression or anxiety, in 100% of the cases, what has happened is something has changed in their environment, their body has reacted to it, and their brain has started chattering about what this means. Mm -hmm. And it's the meaning, the meanness in the meaning that they've created that is producing this cascade chain of negative sensation and feeling and chemistry inside of their body tension and all that other stuff and it's that that they're trying to escape it's the result of their thoughts and so if i started to look at it like okay i would go to pornography what would happen all of a sudden i could not focus on anything else but whether or not i could hear sounds of people coming in the room and the lights on the screen and i would get this chemical flush through my head and this tunnel vision i would feel my heart start to race and i would feel blood shunting to different areas of the body away from my hands shaking and whatnot depending on the amount of risk involved there's adrenaline rushing through the system and i would feel free of all of the quote-unquote problems that i had those problems were just in my head like nothing had changed in the demands of life or anything in that moment right but i had somehow shut off my thinking mind through these behaviors. And then I breathed a different way. All of these things played into it. So as I started looking at other people that were coming to me, when they were depressed, what was going on? They were thinking. When they were anxious or they were in a panic attack, what was going on? Some sense of impending doom, some reaction that it started in their body and their brain started running with it. Then the body clenches further and then the breathing tightens and constricts and maybe they pass out. And so I started looking at especially addictive behaviors, alcohol, drugs, you name it, they're, even if it's a bad drug trip, it literally forces you, your brain to not function the same way. Right. And so then even though maybe it didn't help them escape negativity, <laughs> because, well, it took them a place they didn't want to go, it still took them out of the thinking that was making things miserable. Yes. So to think of it as an aesthetic experience, 
addiction behaviors instead of an anesthetic experience is a radical shift in the way people talk about it. But they're not trying to numb themselves to life. Life itself around them is this glorious experience when it's no longer tainted by the filter of thoughts. So they're just trying to shut the thoughts off. Yes. I, that abs- that is absolutely true. I completely agree with that. And I have not really heard it framed like that before. Um, and I talk a ton about what to do with your thoughts because those are the those are typically the issue. Yeah. Um, and so that usually leads to cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm sure you did a lot of probably yeah. in the earlier parts yeah. of your journey. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which isn't, I'm not trying to crap on CBT. I mean, there's, there's helpful things about that. It sounds like y- you found though something different yeah. that was much more effective. Can you, when you talk about the, your body-based approach, can you yeah, tell yeah. us what that is? So cognitive behavioral therapy, <laughs> you're still kind of inside the thoughts and you're using behaviors to reinforce them, to become aware of them and all the other stuff that's going on. Um, to become aware of the results of them. And, you know, it's sort of a mindfulness-based kind of practice, right? Yes. And I spent four years with a mindfulness, like, guru and all of these different things, trying to figure out what was going on inside my head and then to doubt what was going on with my thoughts and to challenge them. But one day I had this, like, deep realization that the things that made me feel the best, the things that helped me be free, had nothing to do with me challenging my thoughts. I, they didn't like when I felt great in a day, it was because I had eaten well. It was because I had, I was fully hydrated. It was because I had gone and exercised or I had done some breathing practices or I had gotten excited about a new idea. It had nothing to do with like me challenging some thoughts or resolving a past trauma. So I was like, what's going on here? And the question that then arose was based on the observation that the brain is not in touch with the outside world. It is every bit of data that comes to the brain comes through the filter of the body. So if the body is ill at ease, if it's in some form of chemical or mechanical discomfort, then it doesn't matter how beautiful the sunlight is, you know, what's going on in the outside world, how many achievements a person has, whether or not everybody in the world says they're amazing, it's coming through the filter, not of thought, but of this discomfort in the body, what I call in the book, angustia just to grab a totally new term so that we're not stuck in the baggage mm. from all of these other things. I was like, mm-hmm. let's come up with a fresh term. Angustia is just a word that means like a tight space or tension. It can mean like a tight spot, like in a hallway. It can also refer to angina, like the root of it goes to like angina and chest pain. It can go to anxiety, comes from the same word. Angst comes from the same word. So all of these emotional and physical things start to get interlaced. And I'm looking at it going, yeah, when I'm overly tense, when chemically I'm not in a great space, when I'm ill, sickness, mm-hmm. when I'm hungry, hmm, why is it that when I'm hungry, I also have anger issues? Why is it that when I'm ill, I'm also short of temper or impatient or somewhat depressed? I mean, mm-hmm. even in, they don't have a word for depression. It's like the tiredness you feel after being sick is the closest mm-hmm. term they have. And so I start looking at this direct physiological link and realize that all of my thoughts and emotions are built on the data that's coming from my body to the mind, from its instinctive response to the environment and the state that it's in. And if I change that, it's like giving the brain another Lego set instead of like Harry Potter with 
you know, the basilisk at the bottom of the castle and Voldemort flitting through everybody's dreams. It's Bob the Builder. <laughs> okay. And if I give my brain a new Lego set, what's it going to build? It's not going to build the same thing. And I didn't have to go fix the old Lego set. I didn't have to paint it. I didn't have to change it. I didn't have to like tame the basilisk. I just had to train my body to be in that other state so that my brain was constantly getting a new Lego set, which to me was indicative of this idea of instinctive freedom. If I can give my body the option of responding to some life event that people would call negative in a way that builds more relaxation and more ease by instinct, then all of a sudden my brain's like, I feel great. So there's not a problem. And then I don't go down any of the other spirals. So um, we were chatting a bit before we started the show, because I'm here in Malta and you asked me why Malta, which is a pretty, I get that question. Um, and when I think back, you know, part of the reason that I live internationally, that I go back and forth, because I don't have a residence permit here. So I go back and forth every 90 days because I have to. And I have to, I feel, because when I traveled throughout my life, particularly to different cultures where I didn't know anything, because I would go to a new country every year, typically. I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand the culture. Everything was new to me. It was the most free and the most at peace and the happiest I felt. And I think it's because of what you're describing, because you can't really focus on anything else because you don't understand what is even happening when you go to the grocery store or you go out to find a restaurant. And I was also walking all the time. So I'm out, I'm outside, I'm breathing fresh air, I'm walking. There's new things to look at. There's languages to um, to hear. There's struggle with communication where you're like, even here, when I'm communicating with somebody, I am completely focused on that communication because it's all broken. It's all some form of broken English. And so I kind of feel like unbeknownst to me, that is what helped me to find one of the things that brings me to that place of freedom. Yeah. And I think a lot of people on the planet, most of what I teach people is, is I often find myself saying, you already do this. You don't realize you're doing it, but if you can understand what's going on and the mechanics behind it. Now you can do it consciously more effectively and you can create a whole lot of other options that do the same thing. I remember one day where I was like uh, really struggling and I was like, I had this realization. Oh my gosh, I like porn. <clears throat> not exactly an earth shattering realization, but I was terrified of it. I was like, no, I'm not supposed to like it. That's bad. I'm a bad per-, you know? And then the mm-hmm. next thought that occurred to me was this like, well, why do you like it? And that's when I realized, oh, it's because I feel this way and I'm no longer worried about my problems and there's a level of freedom that I get. And there's a sense of like, I don't have to worry if somebody likes me or not dislikes me because I'm no longer engaging with a person. Right. (laughs) And, oh, okay, cool. Where else in my life do I feel those similar kinds of things? And then I ended up with this list of activities. And it's one of the first things we have a lot of people do is make a playlist. All the stuff that you do that brings you to this state of freedom so that you're there more often. And so you're training your system that that's what you actually prefer to be. And then that also gives us you being in a better state so that we can go in and challenge the, the sort of instinctive response that you've got that is producing the negativity in the first place. Okay. 
And you mentioned that um, you didn't need to, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing here, but that you didn't really need to go in and sift through everything. That the investigation of the thoughts, that the investigation of the origin of the thoughts, which is often what we're taught to do, that that you had done that already in wow. a variety of settings and with it sounds like some very learned people and guides and so forth. And still you were suffering and not free and that that really wasn't necessary to do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, cause my thought, I mean, I'm a martial artist. I've been doing martial arts since I was a kid. You know, I think the value, some of the stuff I train people with is rooted in that kind of history, dance, martial arts, a lot of the movement disciplines that I did, but I love martial arts because it, it's, it's a way of training yourself to handle conflict, mm-hmm. you know, like, and the things people struggle with are always conflict and in conflict, especially with another person who's swinging a fist at you, there's no amount like talking is over by the time the fist is swung. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's not about sitting there and questioning why, but only about finding the open spaces, finding the opportunities. And so I had done a lot of this mindfulness stuff and, you know, talking to people through and praying and examining it from a religious perspective or a scientific perspective or the disease model, or yes. you name it, all of these different things. And I hadn't, I hadn't found freedom. I'd found help from time to time. Like I'm not mm-hmm. poo-pooing step rooms there's a, there's a number of people that go and i did for the first few months I, it was helpful for me to show up find other people that were struggling with the same thing and be able to say i'm in a rough spot i'm an addict mm-hmm. but then after months realizing that nobody was getting better and people had been there for years and i didn't want to identify it as an addict forever and i'd read about affirmations and i don't that's not a great affirmation uh, and so i was like ah, i don't want to stay here forever that's when I was like, okay, well, what else is going on? So there are some things that there are some, I would say, thought processes that people have that are like core beliefs about themselves that do need to be challenged in most people. And there's usually just a handful of them, a couple, two or three. And they are, their brain has marshaled evidence for it in a whole lot of different things. But what I found was if we handle the body correctly and we train it well, those don't come up so often. And when they do come up, then I can take them through a process of getting them back to their senses. So that is a body-based thing, right? So instead of their thoughts about what happened, I can take them through a process of releasing those thoughts. And then I have them go into their mind and their memories and go like, cool, did you actually see that that was the case? Did you actually witness that that was the case? With your own eyes, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm worthless. Okay, cool. Right. Where was the tool of worthlessness? Did, did it, was it oozing from your arm? Did it like spread from the mountains and drip onto your head? Like, where did the worth? And when they can't, when they realize, oh, that's, that wasn't what a video camera would have picked up. Mm. Then I go, cool. What did you see? And then they're like, I was a little girl that was just terrified because my dad had walked in the room and he was like three times taller than me. And I just, that story was the only way I could make it up. But really, I was just a little girl inside of a, in front of a giant yelling. Right. Okay. And so then we can go in and say, cool. Now let's imagine that right after that experience, you know, you and I got to sit on the front porch or something. And you're like, why is this happening to me? Is it because I was worthless and I'm the reason for all my dad's problems? And you know, it's not. It's just that he had a bad day, probably stubbed his toe on the way in the house. And, da, 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 da. and 
it, it's kind of terrifying to to stand in front of somebody who's three times your size uh-huh. and yell at you until you uh-huh. just felt, and that's all it was. And when they, that dawns on them, there's a realization that happens, and uniformly across the board, something in their body changes. And it's like the it got past their mind and the cells in their body realized because you talked about like it's almost in your cells, you know, uh-huh. yes. it's like the cells in their body realized, oh, that's not the case. The best analogy I have. Well, there's two analogies. The best one I have to this is like if you imagine you lost your keys because it's a fairly common occurrence. Right. And you're going through the house and you're trying to find it. Now, if you live with somebody, the natural inclination is to blame, blame. somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where'd you put my keys <laughs> where did you put my keys you're like i didn't touch your keys you're like you know i left them right here and they're not there and, right if you live alone then it's like you run through stories of, oh man i don't know where it is now i'm going to be late for my meeting or i'm going to be this that or the other right and then all of a sudden your hand brushes the side of your thigh and you realize they were in your pocket the whole time it had just slipped around the edge ah that single realization fueled by direct perception all of the anxiety, all the fear, all the blame, everything evaporates. And it's that particular mechanism of direct perception that frees a person forever of their struggles. So as a kid, I believed in Santa Claus. When I realized it was mom and dad, I am not in danger of ever again writing Santa Claus another letter. Right. Because the realization had changed things. It would take a lot of hypnosis or right. evidence for me to go, maybe I should write, write Santa Claus a letter, but it doesn't happen. And the reason it changed, even though I was like disappointed at first and a little frustrated, or even though people get embarrassed when they realize they've been blaming everybody and the keys are in their pocket, there might be right. an emotional response to the release, but the, it's gone forever when your direct perception is involved. When you're just thinking through, well, it could be this way and it could be that way. It does. It comes back. Yeah. That's years of therapy. That's why years of maintenance. That's why a lifetime of pro- of programs. I love that example. When you've lost something like your keys, and then and you're doing all the things that you just described, and you find it, and you're flooded with relief, and everything is fine. Yes. Okay. I love that example. All right. We're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're here with Bob Gardner, the Freedom Specialist. And um, when you were speaking in the last segment, I was thinking about sort of the moment that I had that realization when you, I realized the thing that was underneath and that the thing that was underneath was not correct. It wasn't true. It wasn't correct. It was a lie that I just believed and cultivated and fed and fed with my thoughts and lots of, of addictive behaviors and all that stuff. And I did sort of have that, that thing, like my whole body, like my whole body changed. Yeah everything changed. My, it was almost like the light in the room changed. My body changed. My brain exploded. And I couldn't, like you mentioned, like I couldn't put it back. Like I couldn't, there was no way to put it back. Um, after that happened, thank goodness. And I proceeded to, this was during the right at the beginning of the pandemic. I proceeded to do these. I was in Seattle at the time, these hilly five mile walks probably every other day. I, I like to do yoga as well, but those, I feel like kind of saved my life, um, in those early days. And I'm curious. So you talked about going back to things that you, that you knew that that were part of your life and how they helped you to shift. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the, the physical practices that you introduced to people that helped them to, basically do what you did to leave these things behind them and free themselves. I was, yeah, you know, I run these physical retreats because it's so much faster to kind of handle it all in one spot. But, you know, in the beginning I was just, I wasn't running retreats yet because I was a one man band. And so I was like, okay, I'm talking to people online and I would get them on the phone and I'm like, okay, you're going to breathe this way. And I would time them and like, I was, I wasn't talking to them at all. I was like, okay, now go stretch this way. Okay. Now go upside down and let's talk about it while you're on your head. And <laughs> just oh, wow. Interesting to change stuff. So, um, I had to get really kind of invented for me. The first thing that happened was I was in such a dark place, despite the fact that at the time we were living, I had been to graduate school in Seattle. Um, and that was where I was wandering the streets, hoping to get hit by a bus. And it was really dark and not mm-hmm. a great <laughs> and we moved to Arizona, which is a place of 330 days a year of sun. I had opened my kung fu school down there and um, I was still struggling. But the thought I oddly that came to me was I need more light in my life. Hmm. And so what I decided to do was sit on the roof of my little 
a little rented apartment and watch the sun set and then watch the sun rise every day. So it was like 20 minutes where I could do nothing but watch this orb of the sun go below the horizon and then come up. I stopped doing the sunrise because one morning it frosted over while I was on the roof and I almost died all the way down. So, so I was like, okay, we'll just do the sunset. So that was the first thing I did was it was like 20 minutes of maybe meditation. Some days I was yelling at the sun because I was having a bad time. Some days I was just watching all of the people below me. Some days I was talking through problems. And a lot of days I was just sitting there watching. So you could call it a kind of like passive meditation. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing it, I was watching the sun and something about that started to like, maybe it was just a 20 minute break. There's a the sunlight on my skin. It was this moment of respite. So that was the first break I got from some of my thoughts. Then what I started to do was rooted in some yoga. I had learned it wrong. It was a practice that basically I, I half invented <laughs> on accident, um, but it was a form of vocalization that that scientifically on, on a basic level creates a cascade of all of these positive chemis- chemicals in the body, all the painkillers, all the BDNF that changes neural pathways, all of the vagal tone that you start to like amp up all of the like nitric oxide release that comes from vibrating the hard palate and the turbinates in the nose and the, and the blood vessels, like all, I didn't know any of this stuff at the time. I was just like, you know, chanting on the roof mm-hmm. and I would go, uh, for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I would, mm, ooh, and then I do, mm, and I, and I just did those. And somewhere in the middle of that, like, I just felt so wonderful afterwards. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll do this. On top of that, I was still walking. I was still doing breathing practices and whatnot. But humming has not only has it shown pr- proven very effective against COVID <laughs> and all forms of SARS viruses because of the re- ramped up production of nitric oxide, which inhibits the growth of SARS viruses. So guys, if you're struggling with long haul COVID or anything, hum a lot because of oh. how it creates your palate. But that nitric oxide release in, expands the blood vessels, gets blood to everywhere, which means it's cleaning out your system of all of this negative chemistry and everything else. So that's something everybody can do. You're driving down the road, you turn on the radio, you sing, that's extending your exhales, and it's making you breathe less times a minute, which puts your body into a parasympathetic healing state, and it can start to work its way through stuff. You hum, and now you're vibrating all these kinds of things, your vagus nerves going to all of your internal organs and waking them up. You're getting your nervous system online. Just very simple. That's like, you don't need a practice to do this. Just on the way to work, turn on your favorite song and go for it. And if you don't have a song, then, uh, (laughs) or... (laughs) Or, you know, you're eating your favorite food and just take a minute to enjoy it a little longer and go, "Mm." Mm. right? (laughs) You know, so like I wanted simple things because I, as somebody who was in depression, somebody who was stuck in addiction, somebody who was, who was, was suicidal at times, I didn't have the mental band. I mean, there were things to do, but I felt so overwhelmed by everything that the thought of now you need to wake up every morning and do this 15 minute practice. Yes, that's a great goal somewhere along the way. But in the beginning, it was like, um, even if you're feeling negative, um, that's you can do that in a moaning sort of way. <laughs> well, it's true. And actually today, 
um, I do it at the end of my yoga practice and it feels so good. Um, but today I found myself naturally, I laid down to do the floor part of my practice and it just happened naturally. Clearly I needed it. Um, and so I, I guess I didn't know the, I didn't really know any of the science behind that, just uh-huh. that it makes me feel great. Yeah, it is amazing. And that's the best metric. The fact that you feel great is your best metric for freedom. The science makes people willing to try it because otherwise there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that's from a yogic tradition. So it's it's evil or oh. you know, there's a lot of people that have hangups around it. So most of the stuff that I share with people are stuff that has been vetted and backed by, by research so that they can see, hey, there's if I breathe this way, my cardiac rhythms come online. Right. Well, that's to know oh if i do this little hum thing then all of a sudden all these genes associated with my immune response improve well that's good to know um what's funny is that people do this all the time when they don't know what to say they go um and that vibrates their nervous system gets clear of some of the chatter and helps them focus when they have a belly ache they go ah you know they're using sound to try and vibrate things and get things loose they're using, they're like, ooh, or when they're excited, they're like, ooh, you know, they make noises, yes, make sensations run through their entire body. And the speed of sound travels way faster inside dense material in your body than it does in the air. So there's this vast communication network happening inside the skin and beneath the skin that is that is stimulating a, a, a cascade system-wide release of all kinds of positive chemistry, a release of tension, a shift into a parasympathetic nervous state, just from simple practices like this. It's absolutely incredible to be able to do things like this. So hum, sing, chant, do all that other stuff. It's amazing. The second thing that I would say is, and this is what I teach in some of the online programs and at the retreats, very, very in depth, is that every thought and emotion you have has a correlated body state. If you change the body state, you change the thought and the emotion. And if you change the body state enough, the thought and emotion just stop happening because it becomes a habit of freedom. So in so to start, what I would suggest that people do is when you're in a state, whether you're struggling with an addictive temptation or an urge or whether you're whether you're anxious or whether you're down and depressed or whether you've got traumatic memories coming up, the first thing you can do is be like, okay, what am I feeling? And where is it in my body? Mm. Because I guarantee you, your toenails are not involved. Your butt cheeks are rarely the culprits. Your (laughs) earbuds are not part of the package, which means that it's smaller than the totality of you. And when you can start to see, oh, this feeling is just kind of packaged in a few areas. And even though it's intense, I'm actually free in some areas. Now you can go to town on it. And what do you do? You start to relax those areas. You start to breathe different. You start to move different. You lie on the ground, you roll around, you stretch, you yawn, you hum. You change up the things that you can actually measure. Your movement, your tension, your breathing, those types of things, and your posture. And all of a sudden, you can measure, does it feel like the feeling's going away? Well, if it's going away slow, good news, it's going away. Maybe slower than you want, but it's going away. Oh, but Bob, what if it comes back? Well, you, that means you were free of it for a period of time. If it comes uh-huh. back and bit by bit, it becomes just an instinct and a habit. I noticed on the front of your book, I, and we're, we're it's, it always goes so fast. So we only have a few minutes left, but I noticed on the front of your book, it, there's a, there's a person, there's an illustration of a little person 
And there's a brain, a heart, lungs, some organs, and a gut. But everything else is kind of just, you know, part of the person. But those are the things that jumped out at me. And so do you find that that is often where things are showing up in those areas? Those areas are where people most often feel their emotions. They feel like the tension in the head. They feel like a constriction in the chest. They feel the stuff in the gut. And so those become the major areas where most people find stuff. I mean, if they're angry, they might feel their hands tensing and things like that, but they'll feel the flush in the face and they'll feel that stuff. And so um, you, you, you'll find it all over the place in the central core of the body because that's what's reacting to your brain. Well, you know, I've been working on, uh, I, I have morning doom. Uh, my listeners look, oh, there she is with her morning doom again. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've just all this history of all the things, all the things that you've talked about. I have in my history. And so I've been working on this morning doom for a while to try to retrain it just because I don't really enjoy waking up like that. Um, I think I might try the hum unless doom. you have a different suggestion for morning doom. Uh, I have my clients go through, a. I just have, a, I have a 15 minute audio that I have them put it as an alarm. And it it goes through a basic tension and relaxation. So you're lubing the system, okay. some breath work. And then I have them, if they're willing to, after that, then I have them get up and stretch a little bit so that the body's lubricated. And then after that, I have them, if they're willing to do it, there's another audio that I have that's a hum um, okay. that we teach the retreats, like all the mechanics of it and how to do it. But even with my dad who has cancer uh-huh. and he's in bone pain, I had him lay on the floor, not in some special position, and just do ahs and oohs and ums. And he spent hours in bliss, like the pain eradicated, evaporated from his consciousness. And he's in this place of total peace because of something as stupidly simple as vibrating your vocal cords and your bones with your own sound. And Dr. Carl Stow, who was like this famous guy that start, he was a choral teacher and then he helped coach the Olympic track team in the Mexico Olympics. And then he ended up working with people with emphysema all on the same basis of helping people exhale fully and really get a full vibration in their system. He said, the more you can vibrate with your own voice, the healthier you'll be. Okay. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell everybody um, where to find you and what you have going on um, yes. with the Freedom um, Specialist? Thefreedomspecialist.com with a the at the beginning, thefreedomspecialist.com. There you can find a link to get where you can get a copy of the book. You can find access to some of the online programs that we run, the retreats that we run, and everything else. Just the biggest reminder I would say is there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. The fact that you can learn misery on autopilot means that you can learn happiness on autopilot. You just need the skills. And what I've put together are some of the most profound, effective things that I've seen on the planet. Thank you so much. This has been um, super fun. A total delight. I've learned some things. I loved it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Love yourself. Free yourself. Be yourself. And dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.